I want you to look at all those people going. They had a 46 people last week going through Finding the Rock, and it's a great, great class. And I'm glad to sow them out into that uh, class to learn those uh, principles and learn what we as a church believe. And uh, now, those of you that remain, and I want to say to these folks, you don't have to, but you can move closer in so you can see the screen a little bit better. I'm not telling you to. Just, just get on over here right now. No, no I'm kidding. I'm kidding. You're welcome to stay, but you can move in if you want. We're going to be looking tonight, I'm going to call this Around the Mountain Again. And this is out of Mark, chapter 8. We're going through the, following Jesus in a journey with Jesus through Mark. And so let's go ahead and put it up there, and we're going to read 10 verses quickly, Mark 8, 11 through 21. And this is the New Living Translation. The NLT. It's a great translation. So here we go. When the Pharisees heard that Jesus had arrived, they came and started to argue with him. Testing him, they demanded that he show them a miraculous sign from heaven to prove his authority. Now, they didn't really want to see one. It didn't really matter to them. They'd already made up their mind about him. They were testing him. So here we go. Verse 12. When he heard this, what did he do? He sighed deeply in his spirit and said... Why do these people keep demanding a miraculous sign? I tell you the truth, I'll not give this generation any such sign. So he got back into the boat and left them, and he crossed to the other side of the lake. Now here comes the disciples. But the disciples had forgotten to bring any food. They had only one loaf of bread with them in the boat. And as they were crossing the lake, Jesus warned them, Watch out. Beware of the yeast or the leaven of the Pharisees and of Herod. Now, as usual, they didn't get it. So here's what they started talking about. At this, they began to argue with each other because they hadn't brought any bread. Jesus knew what they were saying, so he said, Why are you arguing about having no bread? Don't you know or understand even yet? Are your hearts too hard to take it in? You have eyes, can't you see? You have ears, can't you hear? Don't you remember anything at all? Well, this is a pretty good scathing from Jesus. He's saying, is anybody home? That's what he's saying. Now, when I fed the 5,000 with five loaves of bread... How many baskets of leftovers did you pick up afterward? Now, they're standing there realizing they're in trouble. Twelve. Okay. Then, and when I fed the 4,000 with seven loaves, how many large baskets of leftovers did you pick up? Seven. See, they know they're about to catch it. Don't you understand yet, he asked them? Father, thank you for your word. Minister to our hearts tonight and help us to learn about following Jesus in apprenticeship, in discipleship, in truth. And I thank you for it in Jesus' name. Will you breathe a prayer and say, Lord, teach me. In Jesus' name, amen. Turn to your neighbor and tell him, don't you get it yet? <laughs> Don't you get it yet? How many of you ever felt the Lord say that to you in your spirit? Don't you get it yet? 
Are we going to have to go around this mountain again? That's, that's the idea, and that's why I'm calling it today, uh, tonight Around the Mountain Again. This is a teaching, but the lesson is, in essence, going around the same mountain again. How many of you have ever gone around the same mountain twice? If you've been saved over a week, you probably have. How many of you have ever been, ever been around a mountain so many times you don't even want to admit it or say it? That's right. Now, this text comes in. It's very important. A text without a context is a pretext. Context is everything in reading the Bible. Now, let's look at the context. This text comes in at the end of the second multiplication, miraculous multiplication of fishes and loaves. What we just read follows on the heels of the second miraculous multiplication of fishes and loaves. Jesus has repeated the miracle twice. Now, as a matter of fact, they watched it personally. They handed out the bread and they walked away with leftovers. And Jesus repeated the lesson. Now, he's saying to them, how have you not yet understood that I'm the provider and I'm not stuck with something like, I don't have enough. That doesn't hang me up. I'm a provider. I can make something out of nothing. Now, not only has he repeated the feeding of the fishes and the, and the loaves to a multitude twice, but he's also taken them through two boat trips, two boat trips where they encountered trouble both times, and both times they didn't have any faith. He had to repeat it again. In the first boat trip, they encountered a storm. And you know the story, teacher, don't you care? Don't you, aren't you going to help us? Don't you see that we are perishing? Aren't you aware of our predicament, our storm, our trouble? And of course, he stood up and rebuked the wind and the sea, and they, and they stopped. And then the second time, they were straining at rowing, and it was a different kind of a trial. It was, it was working and getting nowhere. It was seemingly not getting anywhere in their attempt at obedience. They were straining at their rowing, rowing hard to get across that sea, but there was a strong wind in their face resisting them, and this time Jesus came walking to them on the water, and they thought it was a ghost. Both times they were clueless and befuddled and bumfuzzled, and they didn't get it. So you can hear Jesus saying here, don't you yet understand that I create weather patterns and I control weather patterns and I created gravity and if I want to defy gravity, I'll walk on the water. Don't you understand who I am? Don't you get it? And they did not get it. Now at the last, this last feeding, this, this second time, he's multiplied the fishes and the loaves. You heard it, I heard it. There's exasperation in his voice with his disciples. And I'm so thankful that the Bible tells the truth about this because I have been one of them so many times. You know, where I know he was exasperated and, and I didn't get it. And he had to teach me again and again. And truth be known, we're all there. So I'm so glad it told me the truth about the disciples. Now, 
He says in verse 21, he says the word understand and know. Don't you yet understand? Don't you yet know? Now, I tell you all the time, I love words. I'm a word guy, and I think words really, really matter. And in the original language, this was written, the New Testament, in Greek, with a smattering of Arabic, and the Old Testament was written in Hebrew. Now, it is important, when you read a word where Jesus said, don't you yet understand or know? Don't you know yet? Don't you get what I'm trying to teach you? Don't you know yet who you're following? Don't you get it? There's five or six words in the Greek language for to know. And I just wanted to show you two of them. Here's one of them. The first one is, say with me, gnosko. Easy way to uh, remember that is to know so. So can you say with me, gnosko? means I know so. That's easy to remember. Now, here's what gnosko means, to know something. Like, I gnosko, I know that Jesus is the Son of God. It means you just know something. I gnosko that his name is Keith. I know it. All right, now here's the second word, suniami, suniami. And it, suniami is another word that if we translated it into a Bible, it would just say no, K-N-O-W. But it means something very different from gnosko. Suniami means to put or set together. It describes the process of learning, of putting two and two together. That's what suniami means. Here's what Jesus is saying to his disciples when he said to them, don't you yet know? He wasn't saying, don't you fully, don't you gnosko. He was saying, haven't you put two and two together yet? Haven't you learned? Haven't you connected the dots? He told the wind to stop. He told the waves to quit rolling. And he walked on the water. Dot, connect, he must be God. Connect the dots. So he says to them, don't you yet suniami? Haven't you made the connection, guys? Man, I've been carting you around with me everywhere. You still haven't figured it out. So Jesus says, I want you to connect the dots. He, he's, he, he's saying, I'm tired of having to teach you the same lessons over and over again. I want you to get it. Uh, here's, the, here's the idea behind Sunni You ought to come to a conclusion. When God's trying to teach you something, there comes a day where you connect this dot to that dot to that dot, and then you ought to come to a conclusion where you never have to question it again. I mean, this happened to me with the Word of God. I clearly remember it. I remember it like, like, like almost anything in my life. I can remember when I first got saved, I didn't understand the Scriptures. I didn't even know what the different names meant. Romans, Corinthians. I thought it was just fancy names for different chapters. I knew nothing. And I didn't know that it was the Word of God. I just thought it told me the neat stories about Jesus. But I remember one night, I was quoting a psalm out loud. And I was thinking of how true the word of God had been. That when I obeyed the word of God and put my faith in it, I saw results. 
This word told me to put my faith in Christ. And this word told me what would happen to me once I did put my faith in Christ. And when I did it, what the word told me would happen is exactly what happened. So I began to see dots and I began to connect them. And this one night, it was about midnight. And it just so happened I was on a psalm quoting it out loud where I said to the, where I quoted to God, where David said, at midnight, I will rise and praise you. And I looked and it was midnight. And I don't know about what it, I'm not saying that's what did it, but it suddenly washed over me like a flood that this was the very God-breathed word, that it didn't just contain some truth, but it contained the truth, absolute truth, that doesn't bow or bend to different cultures and the whims of people. What was true today was true 2,000 years ago, was true 1,000 years ago, was true in the dark ages in Europe, was true in the Enlightenment, was true at all times in history. This word never changes. It endures forever. And I came to know that. And I've never had to question it again. I came to a conclusion. Hallelujah. And the word is telling us that you and me, we ought to be coming to some conclusions as Jesus leads us in our own personal discipleship with him. What is it that he's trying to teach you? And he, you've been around the mountain and you've been around again, and you've been around again. What is it that he's looking at you going, <laughs> don't you yet get it? connect the dots and come to a conclusion. <laughs> I'm telling you, I mean, God doesn't want his people walking around looking befuddled and amazed and, 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 and confused all the time. We ought to be a no-so people. That's not arrogance. If you find the real thing, it's not arrogance to say you found the real thing or to believe that you found the real thing. Now, what started this whole deal about the bread and Jesus saying, don't you yet get it, and the, the, the two feedings and the multitudes, what started the whole thing was after dealing, Jesus, after, directly after dealing with the Pharisees who wanted to see a sign from heaven, said to his disciples, here's what started the whole controversy. He said to them, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod. And that set him to talking. Well, he's, he's telling us we don't have enough bread. We, we should have brought bread. And they totally misunderstood. But it's important that we understand what Jesus was saying. Because when Jesus says beware, it needs in our brain to be in all caps. If he says beware of something. Now, he said beware of two things, the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod. Now, you know, uh, probably, that leaven is yeast. And yeast uh, uh, is almost always, in the Bible, a negative. Yeast is almost always, or leaven, is almost always a negative. Leaven, once it's placed in bread, permeates the whole loaf, permeates the whole thing. It pervades, it spreads. When leaven is placed in bread, it eventually spreads throughout the whole loaf and the entire loaf of bread is affected by and permeated by, infused with this leaven. 
Not one part of the loaf of bread escapes it. It is all-encompassing. Now, Jesus said that there was, there was something about the Pharisees and Herod that was leavenous. Leavenous. Now, why was leaven usually negative in the Bible? First of all, because leaven takes time to spread through the whole loaf. So in the Old Testament, you'll find that the Israelites, after they had been delivered from Egypt, were forbidden to eat leavened bread. You know why? Because when they were eating leavened bread to celebrate the Passover, if they had eaten leavened bread instead of unleavened bread, they had to wait for the leaven to spread through the loaf, and that took time. And God said, I want you to eat unleavened bread, which you can make much quicker because I delivered you in haste. And I want you to have a continual reminder before you. When you eat that unleavened bread, it's not going to take you near as long to make it. And that is a reminder to you that when I took you out of Egypt, I did it quickly. I mean, when, when everything started rolling, they were out of there, friend, crossing that sea. And they were... They were placed in that wilderness and on their way to the promised land very quickly once God started moving. He said, that's one reason I don't want you to eat leavened bread when you're celebrating the Passover. But also, hear this now. I cannot tell you how important this is. Leaven compromises the purity of bread. And it spreads through the mass of it. And leaven when there is a negative attached to it in the Bible, it's invariably talking about sin. Leaven symbolizes the pervasive character of evil. Jesus said, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees. He's talking about the doctrine of the Pharisees. And the leaven of Herod, that is the lifestyle of Herod, the beliefs of Herod. The doctrine of the Pharisees, and I'm going to tell you what that is in just a moment, and the life beliefs of Herod, if you let them into your life, he's telling his disciples, are going to be pervasive. They may begin as a seed inside of you, but if you take the leaven in and don't do anything about it, it will eventually spread through your whole life, corrupt your whole soul, and take you down. We got to understand the process of corruption. I want to ask you a million-dollar question tonight. Can a Christian, washed in the blood, going to heaven, got the Holy Ghost on the inside, can that person be corrupted? Oh, you better believe it. You can be heaven-bound, have the Holy Spirit on the inside, have been born again, and still experience corruption. And I'll tell you how you experience it. Something leavenous that is evil that is wrong, that is sinful, gets into your soul, and if you don't catch it, repent and get it out, it begins to spread through the whole loaf. Until finally, like Jesus said, you better beware, because evil leaven, wicked leaven, evil teaching, evil worldviews, wrong lifestyle, is like leaven. It may start out innocent looking, small, inobtrusive, 
But one day you're affected more and you're affected more until, until we don't know you anymore. I know this is a heavy word, but Jesus is, is a heavy Christ. And he told us about a heavy reality. He said, a little leaven leavens the whole lump. It's only a matter of time. That's the danger of corruption. That's why you got to watch who you run with. That's why you got to watch what you read. That's why you got to watch what you believe to be true about life. Your, your whole worldview and your whole lifestyle needs to spring from this unleavened book, unleavened bread. This book leads you into righteousness and soundness and wholeness. But we live in a leavenous world. And the devil knows he's not going to take a good person down in a night. He's a master at sowing leaven. And you accept something that is not biblical, not scriptural. You accept it. You allow it in there and it begins to germinate and it begins to spread. Guard yourself, said Jesus, against the teachings, the worldview, the manner of life of the Pharisees and Herod. Now, what was the leaven of the Pharisees? Hypocrisy. That's what it was. Listen to what Jesus said. As a matter of fact, in chapter 23 of Matthew... I counted eight times Jesus called the Pharisees hypocrites. Eight times. You hypocrites. I mean, listen, Jesus was stout, man. Jesus was not a politically correct cat. <laughs> he looked at these guys. They were tarting around, carting around their Bibles and acting all holier than thou and everything. And Jesus leveled them. You hypocrites, this, you're like whitewashed tombs and dead men's bones. And what you say, you don't do. And what you do, you don't say. You're a liar. You're this, you're that. And they just stood there, stunned and shocked at what he was saying. But he told us plainly in Luke, the, the leaven of the Pharisees is hypocrisy. Listen to what Jesus said. He said, outwardly, you appear righteous to men, but inside you are full of hypocrisy and full of lawlessness. And Luke 12, 1, if you want to know the, the source of where I got Jesus saying that their leaven was hypocrisy, Luke 12, 1 is what says it. He says, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. So he says, beware of that leaven. Beware Beware that you don't begin to veer away from on the inside what you outwardly try to make others believe about you. He's talking about uh, transparency. He's talking about being truthful. Now, say with me, you're not talking about perfection. No, I'm not talking about perfection. But what I am talking about is sincerity. I'm talking about honesty. There is, a, there is a great healing that can come if you're just honest. And how many of you have been in church long enough to realize ain't none of us perfect, never will be? And all of us deal with stuff. Anybody in here doesn't deal with stuff? 
better watch it because if you raise your hand, you've all, I see your stuff. We all do. We all do. The important thing is, is that you stay humble before God and you stay honest before God. So that your inside isn't going this way and your actions going this way. You're not walking around acting one way, but the real truth about you is in here. So you've got to be honest. Not perfect, just honest. Because the leaven of the Pharisees is hypocrisy. And that leaven, that hypocrisy will eat up your whole life. It'll, it'll leaven your whole life if you don't bring it under control. I think every believer probably ought to have somebody they can talk to and tell the truth to them about themselves. Confess your faults one to another. Pray one for another that you may be healed. You know why we don't do that? Because we're scared to death to do it. You know why? Because we don't have the maturity to handle somebody's secret without going and telling on them. So I'm terrified to tell somebody the truth. This is what goes through people's minds. If I tell them the truth about what I'm going through on the inside, they'll never talk to me again, and I will be, I will be excommunicated from the church. Jesus said, you better beware of the leaven of the Pharisees. Now, what was the leaven of Herod? Well, it's important now that we use the synoptic gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, because you'll find that when Matthew tells this same story, Instead of using the word Herod, he uses the word Sadducee. So he says, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the Sadducees, who were Sadducee. I'm just seeing if y'all are even listening. <laughs> they were Sadducee. The Sadducees were Sadducee because they didn't live in truth. Here's the deal about the Sadducees. Here was their leaven. You know what their leaven was? Their leaven was unbelief. The Sadducees were deists. Now, let me tell you what a deist was. A deist, Benjamin Franklin was a deist. And a deist believes that it's very possible that a divine being created this whole universe and then he stepped out of the picture like he wound up a big clock and then decided to step out of the picture. And never does that divine being intervene in the affairs of men, does not answer prayer, does not involve himself in humanity. He's out in other universes and galaxies doing whatever he wants to do, but we are left to ourselves. That's what a deist believes. The Sadducees were deists. They didn't believe for certain in a creator. They sure didn't believe he answered prayer. So here comes Jesus healing the sick, raising the dead, speaking like no man ever spoke, walking on water. And so Herod was a Sadducee. And you'll find in the Word of God, just backing up a little bit in Mark if you want to, that Herod said to Jesus, show us a sign. Well, as a matter of fact, I read it tonight. He said, show us a sign. Show us a miracle. He wanted to see Jesus like a, like a circus ringmaster, do some neat trick. And Jesus said, it's so sad that you want a sign, I'm not going to give it to you. You know why he didn't do it? Because they weren't really looking for a sign. They'd already made their mind up about Jesus. So the leaven of, of Herod or the leaven of the Sadducees is unbelief. Whatever comes into your life and choose your faith away is the leaven of the Sadducees. 
Choose your faith away. I can remember sitting in college um, and listening to these completely depraved professors teaching, you know, evolution is a fact and there was no creator and this and that and the other. And, and, you know, it was a daily fight for me to go back to my Bible and open it up and feed my faith and not allow the leaven of the, of the Sadducees to chew my faith away. And I'm going to tell you, in our day, boy, I'll tell you, there's leaven everywhere to chew your faith away. I think, I think political correctness is the leaven of the Sadducees. Let me just give you one example. We're taught to be tolerant. We're taught to be tolerant of everything. And what our generation means by you need to be tolerant, you need to practice tolerance. You need to be compassionate and be tolerant. You know, the the king word of Christianity is love. The king word of political correctness is tolerant. We've got to be tolerant and accepting of all people and whatever they do and however they want to live. Your truth isn't their truth. Their truth isn't your truth. Can't we all just get along and be tolerant? And don't you dare call what somebody else does wrong and they won't tell you what you do is wrong. Don't you shove your beliefs down my throat because we've got to be tolerant of one another. And it sounds so good. And it almost sounds Christian. But it couldn't be more unchristian. That means that I should discard absolute truth and compromise my convictions to please the world. To the tolerant or the PC person, there is no truth. Truth is relative to whatever you say is truth. Now, to the Christian, truth is not relative. I'm going to say that again, Christian friend. To the Christian, truth is not relative. To the PC person, to the humanist, to the relativist, to the secularist, truth is relative to the situation. What's true for you? That's your truth. I got my truth. You got your truth. We both got our truths. Isn't that wonderful? Let's all just get along. But to the Christian, truth is never relative. It is absolute. And the only source you've got for absolute truth is here in this Bible. I'm holding in my hand. The word of the Lord endures forever. Heaven and earth may pass away, but my word endures forever. God said, this is what's right. This is what's wrong. There is no gray area. And it is absolute, unbending, unwavering, unchanging truth. What was true today, what is true today, was true a thousand years ago. That's what absolute truth is. And if you take the absolute truth and you say, well, we don't believe that anymore. We are tolerant of everybody, and we are relativists, then what you do is you throw your anchor away, you pull your sail down, and you're adrift in the sea of confusion with no anchor. And that's where our country is right now. And that's why it is the wretched, stinking mess that it is because we've decided to throw the Bible out the door, and you can track it back to the day the Supreme Court said, can't pray anymore in schools. There's a huge difference between tolerance and love. And you parents here tonight know it's true. 
Love shows compassion and forgiveness without ever accepting or agreeing with something that is wrong and damaging. That's love. Love says, I love you no matter what you do, but I got to tell you, since I do love you, that what you're doing is wrong. Well, how do you know it's wrong? Because my Bible says it's wrong. Not me, my Bible. And that's how I know, and that's my anchor. Tolerance in our day tells us we have no right to judge something as wrong. And not only can we not judge it, but we got to accept it as okay. And now it's getting to the place in our country, if you don't literally agree with it being okay, you're going to get persecuted. There are two ideologies, two philosophies, two worldviews clashing with each other in this country on a major titanic scale. Absolutists who say this is his truth, it never changes. And the relativists who say, well, your truth is yours, mine is mine. It's completely open to speculation and my own judgment. That is the coffins and the nail of any culture. Now, let me tell you, Jesus finally said to them, I'm not talking to you about real bread, guys. Why are you reasoning about bread? Don't you get it yet? Haven't you put two and two together? If it was real bread I was talking to you about, don't you realize that I would have provided it for you? Haven't you learned seeing me make something out of nothing with two huge crowds? Haven't you connected the dots yet? I am Jehovah Jireh, your provider. Hello, anybody home? All right. <laughs> now, let me just add two and two and give you a quick uh, few final thoughts. Jesus will allow a lesson to be repeated in our lives if we don't learn it. First time around, he's going to come back again. Now, let me tell you how it will happen. It may be different circumstances. It may be different people involved but you will wake up and discern one day it's the same lesson. And you can hear him, two plus two, two plus two. He expects us, number two, he expects us to eventually put two and two together and come to a conclusion. Somebody said insanity is doing the same thing over and over, expecting different results. I think that's a good explanation of insanity. Have you ever been insane? <laughs> okay, here's the third thing. Worry about natural things can cloud. This is what happened to them. Worry about natural things can cloud our ability to hear him in things more important. He was trying to teach them a deeply spiritual lesson, but they were so worried about bread issues, they couldn't even hear him. Mary and Martha, same thing. Martha caught up in the things of the world, Mary listening. It's a great book titled, um, how to, let's see, it says, How to Have a Merry Heart in a Martha World. Here's number four. Jesus, good news. He won't give up on you. He'll stay with you till you get it. You may be 80, but he's staying with you till you get it. <laughs> he really is. He'll stay with you till you get it. And you'll want to give up. Say, Lord, just move on to somebody else. I obviously can't get it. He'll come back to you and guess, I don't give up on you. I'm going to stay with you till you get it. Now, let me ask you a question as we stand together, can we? I'm going to ask you a million-dollar question. All of you love the Lord. Most of you in here that I know anything about, um, 
I want to ask you a million-dollar question. I had to ask myself this getting ready for tonight. What is he trying to teach me that I've had trouble getting? Is there anything he's been trying to teach me? Am I going around a mountain for the third, fourth, fifth time? Is he saying to me, don't you sunia me it yet? And I thought of one or two things. I'm not going to tell you. <laughs> but what is he trying to teach you? What, what, what have you been to him over and over again about? You say, yeah, it's me again. Same mountain again. Same problem again. Same failure again. You know what? Can I encourage you tonight? Connect the dots and come to a conclusion. Lord, I just thank you for teaching us. I thank you, Lord, for your word. I thank you, Lord, that you're with us. You're so patient with us. You've been so patient with me, so patient with uh, Kathy, so patient with so many folks in this room. And I just thank you, Lord, that you're a patient teacher. Lord, we know that when we connect the dots and come to a conclusion, we move to another level. I'm asking you to help us to connect the dots and, and learn the lesson and embrace it and do whatever discipline we need to exercise to walk in that lesson, to walk in the truth of it so that we can leave that behind and go on to another level. Now, I'm going to ask you to do that. And also, while you're praying, pray this prayer. Say, Lord, is there any leaven that has gotten into my spirit that is leavening me where if I don't stop it, my interior life is going to become a house of cards? Thank you, God. Say, Lord, if there's any leaven like that, help me to repent of it and get it out now so that I can remain unleavened, spirit-filled, righteous, you pray while we worship. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, God. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. This is my.